was a joy to be here today and to worship our King. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to open the Word and uh, continue to worship. So let's go Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you in the perfect, powerful, saving name of our King Jesus. God, thank you that it is in Christ alone that our hope is found. He is our strength. He is our joy. And he burst forth on the third day. God, I pray as, you, uh, as we direct our attention to your word, God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts of understanding for our joy and for your glory. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. All right. Anybody in here ever been really far away from home? Like it's got to be more than this. It's got to be more than three, three people. Probably all of us at some point have been kind of far away from home. Has anybody ever been far away from home and you didn't have contact with people at home? That's kind of tough. Um, I remember well, when I was stationed in South Korea for a year and... Um, Soon after Kelly and I were married, it's been a while ago now, um, but do you know what the greatest times were when I was uh, away from home and away from my wife and my family? So when I would go to the post office and I would have a letter from home uh, or have a, a gift from home. I remember uh, my dad's church and some of their Sunday school classes, they would always write a card or they would um, send at Christmas time, would send a little box of uh, of gifts and snacks and that kind of thing. And it was always such a joy um, and gift being so far away from home and receiving something from home while I knew I would be returning there, not yet, but soon. And this is what we're going to see today. So here's what I want us to do this morning is to take a few minutes to reflect on the promises God makes in Acts 3, starting in verse 17. So if you have a copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to turn there. To Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 17. And when you get there, if you would stand as we read God's word together. Hear the word of the Lord. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, or your translation might say wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of, of, for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You be seated. So God gives three promises here. Uh, in this passage, there are promises, number one, of forgiveness, promises of refreshment, and promise of restoration. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start us off talking about repentance. Because that's where Peter starts here. 
The first thing that he says to his hearers here in Solomon's portico is repent. Repent. So to repent is to change directions. It means, to, it means you're going one direction and you stop and you turn uh, uh, another direction. Changing course. This is why Peter says repent and turn back to God. Repentance doesn't deny ultimate joy. And there's somebody in here today that I, I, feel, I feel like you think, and this is the lie of the enemy, is he would say and want you to believe that repentance is God trying to keep something from you. And we have to see from God's word that's not true. Repentance better understood is God giving you something. God is calling you to turn away from broken, sinful, always promising but never delivering idols in your life and turn to Him. This is something that we talk about almost every week. How many of you know, as you, can, you kind of resound with the words um, of Solomon and say, all is vanity. You've gone, you've tried everything. You've gone to everything for satis- to be satisfied. You've tried relationships. You've tried hobbies. You've tried wealth. You've tried fill in the blank, family. And you know that if you go to something besides God for ultimate soul level satisfaction, you're not going to be satisfied. And if you haven't discovered that yet, you will. Repent and live a dull, boring, joyless life. No. Repent that you would live and have life abundant. This is the invitation that Peter is giving to his hearers here and that we're seeing from the word now to repent. Turn to God. Give up a life that is joyless, that uh, doesn't lead to ultimate satisfaction and come to the only one who can actually satisfy your soul. Repentance leads to forgiveness. That's what we see here. Look here in the word again. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. So this is what you might be tempted to believe, that God is withholding. Here are the three promises again. I want you to remember these. Forgiveness, refreshment, restoration. Okay? Repentance leads to forgiveness. And that sometimes we're tempted to think this is what God does. He's withholding something that he could just give you, right? You, you want to be refreshed? How many of you don't want to be refreshed? No, that's ridiculous. All of us want to be refreshed on a soul level. We want to experience renewal and restoration and forgiveness. And we say, God, why does, it, why do you have, why does this have to be the way that it works? God could just give me these things, but he is unwilling to until I do fill in the blank. Here's what we need to see here. Instead of seeing God as the one who says, if you do this, then I'll do this. What if we understood another component to these words? Look what Peter says in verse number 19. The first word in the English Standard Version is that. That your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The way these blessings of God come to you is through repentance. This is how it works. So often when we read the, the scriptures, uh, we're tempted to think that um, the words here, there's clearly a command to repent, but we also tend to think of something that's just intended to be, to inform us is, uh, is a, call, a command to do something. And this is what he is saying. He's commanding all men everywhere to repent. We see that all throughout scripture. But he's also telling us, this is how this works. Do you want forgiveness of sins? 
Do you want your sins to be wiped out? Do you want refreshment? Do you want to be aiming at the great renewal? This is how those promises are mediated and appropriated in your life. You know how? Repentance. Turning away from self, turning away from sin, and turning to God. This is not God withholding these gifts. This is God offering these gifts and giving us clear instructions on how to enjoy them. The way forgiveness, the wiping out of sins is appropriated then is through repentance. Listen to these two passages. This is from Acts chapter 2. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is from Colossians 2. This might be, uh, this is definitely uh, a favorite passage of mine. In fact, if you have your Bible, turn to Colossians 2, because I want you to see this. Colossians 2, 13 through 14. Listen to these words. Soul that is weary and heavy laden, listen to these words. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, in verse 13, God made alive together with him, having forgiven, here it is again, all our trespasses. You know how many of your sins are forgiven in Christ? All of them. They have been obliterated. They have been wiped out. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside. And when the Roman soldiers hammered the nails into the hands of Christ, he says, that was the record of debt that stood against you with its legal demands being hammered to the cross of Calvary. Repentance leads to forgiveness. Repentance also leads to refreshment. That's what he says here. There again, God doesn't just want us to be forgiven. You know what God also wants for you? He doesn't just want you to be forgiven. He wants you to live your life as a forgiven person. Do you think God simply wants you to be forgiven and then live uh, uh, kind of like, um, like when Jesus tells the, in the Sermon on the Mountain, he says, hey, when you fast, like wipe your face off so you don't, people don't look at you and, and, and see the kind of a scowl on your face. God doesn't want us to live with the proverbial scowl on our face or the literal scowl on our face. He wants us to be forgiven and to live as people who have been forgiven. How many of you know that there's an unbearable weight that comes along with unconfessed, unrepentant sin? What I could say is every single person in this room knows of the weight and the unbearable weight that comes along with unconfessed, unrepentant sin. And even if you maybe want to kind of seem like you don't know what that feels like, I know you do. God knows you do. And he does not want you to live that way. Are you refreshed when you're living in unrepentant sin? No. You know what you are doing? You're, figuring, you're trying to calculate, how can I hide this? How can I keep people from finding out? That is unbearable. And it will lead you to times not of refreshing. 
Refreshment, just like forgiveness, is the outworkings of repentance in your life. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And ultimately here, Peter is talking about the times of refreshing being the times that have come with the coming of the Holy Spirit. Just, 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 just consider for just a moment. Fellow Christian, you have God living inside of you. Do you believe that? The God of heaven and earth sent his son to lay down his life after living a perfect life. He laid it down, he took it back up, he ascended to heaven and sent his Holy Spirit to dwell inside of you. Wonder of wonders. We couldn't write a story that good, but that's what the scriptures say. Peter is saying that this is the Holy Spirit coming, and along with the death, burial, and resurrection, he gave us this gift. We have the great blessing of living in the age when the Holy Spirit has come. He will point us to Jesus. He will bring to remembrance all that Jesus taught. He will bring comfort in pain. He will convict the world of sin and righteousness. And he, as Jesus says in John 3, is like a refreshing wind that blows. But also we need to see that God will send times of refreshing from his very presence. That's what the English Standard Version says, from his presence. Where is the presence of God? We know God's omnipresent. He's everywhere. But this is how we talk about heaven and earth, our space and God's space. When it says that God sends times of refreshing from his presence, that means they come from heaven. God sends these moments. The very presence of heaven will come to us through repentance and not only might come, but God promises they most assuredly will come. This is why I opened with... uh, talking about these gifts that I received from my loved ones while I was waiting to be back in their presence. This is what those times of refreshing are. As we await what Peter here, surely hearkening back to the words of Jesus in Matthew 19, calls the restoration of all things. We're going to read it in just a minute. But we are experiencing times of refreshing as we wait for that. Like a runner running a race. Anybody here a runner? Because I literally cannot even like uh, compute with that. I know Pastor Brandon is. Pastor William has become a runner, awesomely. Uh, I'm not much of a runner, um, but I think I understand the concept. <laughs> and the word refreshment literally means a recovery of breath. Hey, this is why I'm not a runner. <laughs> like, uh, have you ever tried to run and you find yourself a few minutes in and you just can't catch your breath? When you're running a race, what are these times of catching your breath for? Are they so that you can stop? No. Precisely the opposite. When you stop and catch your breath and you experience that momentary refreshing, that's not so that you can stop running the race. That is so you can continue running the race. Until you reach the finish line. Often these times of refreshing are so subtle, we don't even realize we're experiencing them. When we gather to sing, Just consider for a moment what you just did. 
what we just have the opportunity to do as the people of God on this Lord's Day as we celebrate the resurrection of our King and we stand up together and sing, in Christ alone, my hope is found. This journey ours together, we're almost home. In just a few minutes, we'll sing Christ, our hope in life and death. We hear the word of God proclaimed. This is a time of refreshment. A time to stop and catch your breath. When you get the great blessing of sitting down to weep and pray with a suffering brother or sister, that is a time of refreshment. To stop and to catch your breath and to let the Holy Spirit of God refresh you. After all, Jesus himself said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. When you wake up early to pray and read your Bible, when you might rather sleep for another half hour. Anybody? A lot of, I know, I'm sure that happens to me. Whether you realize it or not, that time is a time for you to catch your breath and keep running the race. Here's what refreshing looks like. So here's what Pastor Brandon just mentioned this at the opening of the service. One of the problems that even when we as Christians, we become followers of Jesus, we're born again into the kingdom of Christ, our sensibilities have to become sanctified. We follow Jesus but still struggle to view the world like he does. You know how I know this? You remember in the garden or at the ascension, uh, and Jesus has laid his life down on a cruel cross at Calvary. He's taken it back up again on the third day. He's about to ascend back into the heavens. And do you know what the disciples say? Hey, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Like, this is what we thought you were going to do. Well, aren't you going to do it now? You already did all the others. Aren't you going to do this? The disciples standing before the risen Christ still didn't understand the way that the kingdom of Christ works. So we need to have our sensibilities sanctified. Often we think times of refreshment have to do with a particular political move. Kind of in the throes of it right now. Or how the economy is doing. Fill in the blank. Whatever. Kind of on a macro level. Outside of your own heart. Like your, your situation. If this would just happen, that would lead to refreshment. If this particular person, that particular person, if the economy would do better, fill in the blank. And all the while, Jesus says, what about your heart? Your heart. In John 18, Jesus says this. You remember Pilate's talking to him, and he says, are you a king of the Jews? And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Can you imagine Jesus standing before Pilate, and Pilate saying, I have the right to turn you loose. I have the power to let you go or to hang you on a cross. And Jesus also says, you don't have any power that hasn't been given to you from above. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. But what did Jesus do in the garden when they, Peter drew his sword out? Jesus said, put that away. That is not how the kingdom of Christ comes. He said, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. The way Jesus' king operates is different than ours. It's different than the kingdoms of the world. And this is why we look to a crucified Savior, but we don't particularly want somebody to crucify us. We want to follow one who laid his life down, but we don't really want to be the kind of people who lay our lives down. 
This is what he's calling you to. This is what he's calling me to. Imagine that you're living through a great war. It's the worst war imaginable. Now imagine that you hear a person shouting, announcing the victory of your great king, running into the city, shouting, the king has won. There's been a great victory. The enemy has been defeated. Even before the king himself returns, the fullness of that victory that comes with the arrival of the king has not yet been realized in its fullness. But oh, the joy of reminding each other that the horrible war has been waged and won. The king has been victorious and he is on the way back. What a day, a glorious day that will be, but not yet. We live in the times of forgiveness and refreshing. We don't yet live in the time of the great renewal. Until then, God is so kind to send those times of refreshment to us from his presence, from heaven. And that's what we're doing every time we experience those things we just talked about a few minutes ago. Reading the word, mourning together, singing together, grieving together, experiencing joy together. We're announcing that the king has won the war. Did you know you were doing that this morning? Did you know when you came into this building and you gather with these people that you were announcing to these people, to each other, to your own soul, and to the world, our king has won. The war has been won. Jesus is the victor. And our king is on the way back. I hope in your soul that does something. Our king, your king, is on the way back. This is what the resurrection and ascension did. They brought the reality of heaven in foretastes into the presence. Into the present, rather. And when Jesus stepped out of the tomb and ascended as king, the ultimate future broke in to the present. Scriptures call him the first fruits. These blessings are not merely for heaven later. They are also in part for the here and now. Did you know that? The blessings of heaven from God above are not only future. They are for you now. If we think of it otherwise, it would be like this. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced this, so I'm not, uh, I think I can safely presume that this has not happened to anybody in here. But imagine that you um, invite some friends over for dinner, and they come into your house, and you offer them a sweet tea when they walk in the door, and they say, hey, great, thanks. And you tell them, the only condition is that you have to get into the refrigerator to enjoy the sweet tea. Has that ever happened to anybody? That would be kind of weird if it did. But this is what we think about with the heavenly blessings that come to us from God. They're kept there. That's what Peter says in 1 Peter. They're kept there. They're unfading, undefiled. But they come to us from God now. We experience those things now. We get to have blessed foretaste while we await the great restoration. But to be sure, when we have these times of refreshment, they are heaven sent. And then the great event they're pointing to, the restoration of everything. 
Just imagine for a moment. Let that land on your heart. Jesus says in Matthew 19, you haven't given up anything that you won't give back a hundred times. And you will inherit eternal life. Something really, really great is coming. How many times have you heard that concerning the times in which we live? How many times have you heard somebody say something really, really good is coming? I haven't heard it very much. I've heard people talk about doom and gloom and you turn the news on and every single headline is about somebody, uh, somebody dying or, or some war starting or something like that. But Jesus is saying something so glorious. There truly is a crisis of hope in our world, in our country, and even sometimes in the church. When you consider the return of Jesus and those things surrounding it, what comes to your mind? What do you think of? I know you think of something. You have a God-given glorious imagination. Often when we talk about the return of Jesus, people might think of destruction. But Peter here is using another word. When you hear Jesus is returning, this word should come to your mind from now on. Restoration. Man, what if we live like that? What if the people of God lived like that? Surely Peter is remembering these words of Jesus from Matthew 19. Listen to what Jesus says. Remember when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and Jesus is talking to him and he says, hey, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, here's what you need to do. You need to keep the law. And uh, he said, oh, I've already done that. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine saying that to Jesus? And he's, essentially he says, okay, well, let's just see. Commandment number one. We'll see how you do with that one. Go sell everything you have. Give to the poor. You will have riches in heaven and then come follow me. Commandment number one, you'll have no other gods before me. He just said he kept them. And Jesus says, okay, commandment number one. And you know what it says he did? He hung his head and he walked away. Sorrowful. Because his possessions were many. Then Peter, this, you got to love Peter. Because like Peter said what we all want to say. And this is what he says to Jesus. Well, what about all of us? We've given up all, everything to follow you. What are we going to get out of this? You know what Jesus doesn't do? He doesn't say, how dare you? How dare you ask such a question? You know what he says? Here's what he says. Truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel, and everyone, that's you, that's me, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Often our understanding of what is to come is so quote-unquote heavenly, we don't get excited because it's just not relatable. It's not relatable to us. We are embodied beings living in a glorious world, and our destiny is not someplace way far off in the sky. Our destiny, ultimate destiny, is to live on a gloriously renewed earth in a gloriously renewed cosmos, in our gloriously renewed bodies, with other people who have been gloriously renewed. Can you imagine? That's your future. That's my future. That's our future. That's the future of the, of the created order. Paul says in Romans 8, the creation is groaning. When's the last time you groaned for this? Because Paul says in Romans 8, the creation is groaning for it. It's waiting to be set free. 
When Jesus says all things, do you think that's what he actually meant? I used to hear people say, uh, well, one of my pastors growing up would say, when he says all things, do you know what that means in the Greek? It means all things. You can believe the word when you read it. Of course, that's what he meant. And this is what the verse here in Acts 3 says. And that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Nobody else. Nobody else. This is what you see over and over again in the scriptures. An angel is sent to deliver a message. When G, when, at the re- restoration and renewal of all things, do you know who God, God's not going to send? An angel. You know who's coming? Jesus. Jesus himself. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything. When the time of the end, or better stated, the time of the new beginning comes, will Jesus be taking us from earth to heaven? That's not what this is. This says Jesus will be returning from heaven to earth. Oh man, all the things in your life that have been precious, all the memories that you have, all the family that you've lost, all the things you've given up for Jesus, he says you get it all back. You get it all back. Parents, husbands, wives, children, friends who've gone before us, our homes, the vocations we love and do for God's glory, Jesus said it will all be renewed and we'll get it back times 100. The word used for the uh, restoration, it's, it means new beginning. This is a new beginning. One author says it like this. He says, it feels like there is a promise woven into the very tapestry of life. Do you feel like that? When you experience life and so many of the things that bring the greatest happiness can also bring the greatest sorrow. Does anybody know that's true? The things in your life that can bring you the greatest amount of joy. And ultimately, we know, man, there's going to there's gonna bring sorrow. Have it, being, a, being a parent, you love your children, but man, there comes a time where you might have to turn your children loose. There comes a time where your children may, might make a decision not to follow Jesus. There comes a time, God forbid, that you lose a child. We all know that the things that bring you the greatest amount of joy in this life can bring you great sorrow. You maybe have found yourself trying to get, not get too excited because you're afraid you might get disappointed. Jesus tells us here, we haven't given up those things that we won't get back a hundred times and inherit eternal life. What a joy to know this is what we need to hear. This is where the hope comes from. It's not what's going to happen two years from now. Here's what you need to know. We can say, as followers of Jesus, even if things don't work out, they're going to work out. Even if things fall apart, they won't fall apart. Even if that thing is lost, it will be renewed and restored. So in his grace, God calls us to repent and turn to him so that our sins can be wiped out and times of refreshing may come. This is how we live now. We live in days of forgiveness and refreshment as we await the great restoration. Do you wake up every day longing for the great restoration? If you don't, I just would ask, why not? You get to. There are a lot of people in the world who would long to be able to have the kind of hope that we have, and they just maybe haven't heard about Jesus or haven't bowed the knee in faith and repentance to him yet. People are looking for hope. 
We're, we actually have hope and we don't even think about it. <laughs> When's the last time you thought about it? No more cancer. No more death. Revelation says that Jesus himself will wipe away every tear from your eye. So for those today who have believed the lie that God is trying to keep the best from you, please hear me and the Apostle Paul and Jesus himself. God wants to give you a life of greatest joy. And that life comes when you repent and from your sin and turn to him in faith. When you trust him. When you don't just, as we heard a while ago, know what he said, but you actually cast yourself on the one who can save you. You actually trust him. And for those who are struggling today, please, to quote Jesus in Luke 21, straighten up your, your heads, raise your heads, because your redemption, my redemption, is drawing near. Jesus will return soon. And in the meantime, Jesus is sending times of refreshing to you right now. Jesus wants you to live a joy-filled, refreshed life as we live in eager anticipation of the great restoration. Forgiveness, refreshment, restoration. And it comes to us through repentance. So stop, catch your breath, and continue to run with endurance the path set before you. Because Jesus says, Peter says, and those who have gone before us know to be true, it will all be worth it. All of it will be worth it. And we'll sing together here in just a moment. I'm going to pray for us. And then we get the great privilege of observing and literally tasting one of the four tastes of heaven. We're going to partake of the Lord's Supper, the broken body and the blood shed for, for us by Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. So I'll pray for us and then we'll sing together.